However, before I read our text this morning, I'd like to do something slightly different and give some background ahead of time. The, this is one of the shortest letters of the Apostle Paul. It's also one of the most personal. Paul has a limited purpose in writing this letter, and that is to facilitate the reconciliation of two believers. And therefore, he is modeling something he calls in 2 Corinthians 5.18, the ministry of reconciliation. So first, let's see when this letter was written, how, where it was written, and how it was delivered. This letter to Philemon was written at the same time as Ephesians and Colossians. This was during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. All three of these letters were delivered by two of Paul's beloved servants, fellow workers, Tychicus and Onesimus. We'll see in a bit that Philemon lived in Colossae, which is why it's commonly agreed that all three of these letters were delivered at the same time. This is also why the letter of Philemon is strictly personal, with no doctrine. Paul left the teaching of the doctrine to the general letter to the Colossians. The trip from Rome to Ephesus was over a thousand miles, and there was another 120 miles from Ephesus to Colossae. This would have taken several weeks at least of traveling by foot and by sea. This meant that Tychicus and Onesimus had a lot of quality time together during the trip. This will become important later when we start looking at some of the circumstances surrounding this letter and what we can learn from those. So to help better understand the letter, we'll take a look at some of the people who are mentioned by Paul. There's lots of names in this short book. We're really going to focus on just three of them this morning. The main person to whom this letter was written was Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy homeowner who had the, one of the Colossian house churches meeting in his home. He had bond servants, and he was apparently a very good man, one who Paul described as a beloved fellow worker. The letter is also addressed to Apphia, who is Philemon's wife, and Archippus, who was either Philemon's son or a co-pastor of the church. And it was also addressed to the entire church meeting in his home. And even though Paul had never actually visited Colossae, this church was actually started by a, another man named Epaphras, but Philemon did indeed come to know the Lord through Paul's ministry. This likely happened about 10 years earlier when Paul was in Ephesus. The next person we need to know about is Onesimus. Onesimus was a bondservant of Philemon who ran away for some reason that we are not told. It could have been involved theft, mismanagement of funds, or perhaps to avoid the responsibility to repay his debt to Philemon. When we think of bondservants during the first century, we need to be careful not to equate this form of service with the what we know from our nation's history as chattel slavery. Becoming a bondservant was often a means to repay a financial debt. It was not man-stealing. 
There is nothing in this letter to suggest that Philemon had been mistreating Onesimus. In fact, in Colossians 4.1, Paul does tell masters to treat your slaves or bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. If Paul had suspected that Onesimus was being mistreated by Philemon, there is a, no reason to think that he would not have said something in the letter directly to him. Paul only praises Philemon. We know that Onesimus met Paul in Rome. We don't know how Onesimus actually got to Rome, but he got there. But we do know that he became a believer under Paul's teachings. And he became a great asset to Paul's ministry. However, Paul felt the need to have Onesimus return to Philemon and to seek reconciliation. And we learn from the letters of the Ephesians and Colossians that there's another man involved in this story, by a man by the name of Tychicus. He was the one who traveled with Onesimus to deliver the letters. Tychicus is not mentioned in Philemon. But since Philemon lived in Colossae, and Tychicus is mentioned as the one delivering the letter to the Colossians, there's no reason to believe that he was not going down the street to deliver the letter to Philemon. So to recap, there's three people to keep straight in this. There's Philemon. He's a pastor of a church who met in his home, and he's also a master of Onesimus. There's Onesimus, who was a bondservant of Philemon. He ran away. He met Paul in Rome and became a believer. And there's Tychicus. He's a fellow worker of Paul. He met Paul in Ephesus when Paul was about to get stoned with a riot after he preached the gospel. He traveled with Paul to Jerusalem to deliver the gift to the saints. And then ultimately he traveled from Rome to Ephesus and Colossae with Onesimus to deliver these letters. So now that we have explained the cast of characters, we are ready to read the letter. As I read this, I want you to do something for me. I want you to use your sanctified imagination. I want you to think that this is not Grace Church on Jackson Street. This is the church meeting in Philemon's home. As that, you are very aware of who Onesimus was. You are very aware of the circumstances surrounding his departure. You love your pastor. You love your, parent, your pastor's family. So you also feel the hurt that they felt when they were apparently betrayed by one of their bondservants. So you probably don't think highly of Onesimus. But you're sitting there on a Sunday morning, getting ready for church to start, and in walks Onesimus. So now, turn with me in your Bibles to the letter to Philemon. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1186. You can find a second Timothy, then Titus, then Philemon, then Hebrews. So, to read, the letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and church in your house. 
Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and to all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that, you might, that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord." For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Con confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At some time, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. This is the word of the Lord, and we say... So, as we look to this letter, consider in your mind what your reaction might have been if this situation was repeated here and now. How does the content of Paul's letter affect you? Has someone hurt you? Have you had someone that you have no desire to speak to again or even see? Do you know fellow believers who are estranged? Or do you at times forget what Christ has done for you in reconciling you to the Father? If any of these things are true, this letter is for you. As I mentioned earlier, this letter teaches three things. We will begin by seeing how this letter is a model for earthly reconciliation. 
So how can this letter be just a short tutorial for assisting us to mend broken relationships? Paul models what's a five-step process to do with this. And we'll step through these one at a time. How do we become an agent of reconciliation? The first step is to make sure that we truthfully establish why we think we can speak to the individual. This must be sincere. You are not just buttering up the person you're talking to. So often when we do talk to somebody about something that we want them to do, we have this temptation to maybe laud a little bit of false praise on them, make them feel good about themselves, make them feel good about me. That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is, in the first seven verses, he's doing truthful praise. He is not doing artificial flattery. We read in verse 1, for Paul, a prisoner, or Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Paul opens this letter by telling Philemon who is writing, and he confirms his love for Philemon. Down a little bit in verse 4, Paul tells Philemon, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Paul is telling Philemon how important Philemon is to him by telling Philemon he regularly prays for him. And he also uh, reminds Philemon that he does love him again. So we're challenged here. Do we truly tell people when we're thankful for them? Do we remember to tell them? Paul sends his words of encouragement to Philemon in verses 5 and 6. He says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us and for the sake of Christ. Here Paul states that Philemon's ministry is well known. And he's also praying that it becomes even more effective. What pastor would not be encouraged by someone who led him and who was his mentor to tell him that, I heard about your ministry and it's doing well? Paul also tells Philemon how Paul himself is encouraged by Philemon. In verse 7, we say, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In these first few verses, Paul is saying that he feels able to address Philemon because even though they are separated by a great distance, he has great affection for Philemon as well as for his congregation, and he is truly seeking their best. And he lets Philemon know this. The next step of the reconciliation is to touch on the basis that you are speaking. What I mean by that, you have to have this in your mind, are you coming as an authority or as a friend? In this situation, we'll see that Paul is coming as a friend. What would it look like to come as an authority? Well, you can have a hypothetical case, you see a parent 
There little Bobby is misbehaving, and he just hit Johnny. And what do they say? You go over and apologize to Johnny right now. And then Bobby goes, why? And what's the answer? Because I told you so. So Bobby goes over to Johnny, looking at his shoelaces. Sorry. That's not exactly what the parents had in mind, right? They wanted to see a change in heart. The problem is, is you cannot command a change in heart. And so, you can command a change in behavior. So they did get the right behavior, but not the change in heart. Paul had every right to come to Philemon as an authority. After all, he was an apostle. He was also the one who led Philemon to the Lord. So he could have come as an authority. He did not rely on this valid authority. And as we read in verses 8 and 9, Paul appeals to Philemon to do what is asked for. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also of Christ. Farther down in verse 19, he also reiterates his... Um, a potent, you know, reasonableness for authority where he says in the second part of that, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So he had the right for authority, but he chose not to do it. So sometimes it's right and proper to come as an authority. Sometimes it's better to come as a friend. We must prayerfully discern which approach is the most beneficial for a given circumstance. If we look at Paul's epistles, we will see that depending on the circumstances, he used both approaches. Here he comes as a friend. This was typically Paul's approach anytime he was seeking a change of heart. For example, we can read in Philippians 4.2, he entreated Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He entreated them to agree. He did not command them. Paul did not desire Philemon to obey out of compulsion, but by his own will. The change of will must be done by the work of the Spirit and not by following a command out of compulsion. If we are seeking to help restore friendships, we must come as a friend. We cannot command somebody to get along. The third step of the process is for Paul to acknowledge his understanding of the circumstances. So we tell him why we can come, how we're coming, and now that we're acknowledging the problem. He acknowledges that Onesimus did indeed hurt Philemon. However, before he acknowledges the problem, Paul goes on and takes some time to explain his relationship with Onesimus. In verses 10 and 11 we read, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This is a reference to Onesimus' name, which means useful. Paul makes it clear that Philemon's past experience with Onesimus was not exactly Onesimus living up to his name. Even before the theft, it's this or whatever caused him to run away, it's suggested that he was not the most ideal servant. 
However, Paul's experience with him post-conversion is that the Holy Spirit has indeed been working on his heart and now he is serving Paul very well. And he is now living up to his name. We see in verse 12 and 13 that the reason Paul is sending Onesimus back is not because he wants rid of him. We read, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So he's not sending Onesimus back to get rid of him, but he knows it's the right thing to do. Paul acknowledges that he is aware that Onesimus has hurt Philemon, his family, and the church. Verse 11, he said, remember, he was formerly useless to you. And down in verse 18, he says, if he has wronged you at all, which the implication is that he has, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul states that he's willing to do whatever he can to assist the mending of this relationship, including repaying the debt that Onesimus may have. This would have been a debt that Onesimus was unable to pay. The fourth step that Paul goes through in this process is to have a clear statement of what he desires. So he made clear an understanding of the problem, and then comes his request. And in verse 15 and 16 we read, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, and, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So the one thing he points out in this request is he starts seeing of the reason that things have happened. He recognizes the sovereignty of God in Onesimus' life. This is very similar to something Joseph said back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it back that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What does Paul say? Perhaps it was for this reason that this happened, that he was parted from you. He's recognized the sovereignty of God in this situation. So, Paul adds that he is making this request based on Paul's relationship with Philemon, not based on what Onesimus has done to make restitution with Philemon. So, if you now consider me your partner, in verse 17, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Paul is not asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus and still suffer the consequences of Onesimus' actions. Rather, Paul, out of his love for Onesimus and his sense of justice, states that he is willing to pay any debt incurred. That must moves us on to the fifth step of this process, the final one, a statement of expectations. Finally, Paul closes by making it clear what he expects Philemon to do. He's confident, we'll see, that Philemon will grant 
will grant his request. As we see in verse 20, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And in 21, Confidence of your obedience I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So Paul fully expects, and it gives us no reason to think otherwise, that Philemon did not obey. At the end of this letter, Paul sends his customary greeting in verses 23 through 25. These are all names that Philemon would have known, especially Epaphras, because remember, he was the one who started the church in Colossae, Philemon's hometown, so he knew Epaphras very well. And we'll see, so we have seen from this overview that this letter is indeed an excellent guide on how we can assist our fellow believers with reconciliation. A sort of five-step process to guide us along. But there's more. This letter is a beautifully concise picture of how we are reconciled to God. This deeper meaning may help us understand why this tiny, very personal letter is included in Holy Scripture. Matthew Henry, in the introduction to Philemon in his commentary, points the reason out for this. Matthew Henry writes, There may be something further in all this, at least by way of illusion. It is applicable to the mediation and intercession of Christ for poor sinners. We, like Onesimus, were revolters from God's service and had injured him in his rights. Jesus Christ finds us and by his grace works a change in us and then intercedes for us with the Father that we may be received into his favor and family again. And past offenses may be forgiven. And we are sure that the Father heareth him always. There is no reason to doubt, but Paul prevailed with Philemon to forgive and to receive Onesimus. And more reason have we to be confident that the intercession of Christ with the Father is prevalent for the acceptance of all whose cause he takes in the hand and recommends to him. What Matthew Henry is saying here, as this letter is alluding to what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. We read there, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see in this letter that we, like Onesimus, were once considered useless to God. In that usefulness, we accumulated a debt that we could not repay. We became alienated for God. We were on the run. Through God's providence, we came into contact with Christ. Our heart was changed, and we became useful to Christ. Jesus 
did not leave us in an alienated state from the Father. Rather, he appealed to the Father on the basis of his great love for the Father and for us. Jesus did not overlook our debt to the Father for our sins. Rather, Christ paid our debt fully by his death on the cross. And just as Paul expressed confidence that Philemon would fully accept Onesimus, we can be fully confident that the Father will fully accept us based on the work of the reconciliation through Christ. So, now we come to a a point of application. How do we use this letter? Well, there are some roles that we can play. We could possibly be Paul. If we imitate Paul when we apply this letter as a tutorial and how to assist the mending of broken and strange relationships, we are doing a good thing. The five-step model that we discussed here is a good way to proceed. However, the hard part is knowing when and where to start. Paul had a very strong desire to see unity in the church. We should be praying that we also have this same desire. Anytime Paul encouraged fellow believers to unity, he does so by reminding them of their common position in Christ. We should take this same approach. We also need to be fully aware of our motivations and to make sure we are coming in love as a friend. There's another role we can take, and that is of Onesimus. If we look at this letter as analogous to how we are reconciled to God, it is clear that we play the role of Onesimus. At first glance, it does not appear that Onesimus did much of anything in the story. In his natural state, he was useless. He stole and ran away. However, Paul indicates that the circumstances were sovereignly orchestrated by God to bring Onesimus in contact with Paul. This is much the same way God uses the circumstances of our life to bring us in contact with the gospel. It is nowhere stated that Onesimus did anything to become useful to Paul. He simply heard the gospel and, he became, and Paul became his spiritual father. The new birth is what led Onesimus to become useful. Paul knew that Onesimus had to be reunited to Philemon in much the same way that we must be reconciled to God. So by taking time to regularly read this short letter, and it does not take long, we did it this morning, we can be reminded all of Christ has done for us. This understanding is key to desiring reconciliation with fellow believers. And incidentally, this story of reconciliation presented here could be an excellent tool for evangelism. It is God's holy word, his holy tract. There's another way that we can be Onesimus. We could be the offending party in a dispute. On the other hand, we might be Philemon, the one who's been sinned against. Yet, you may be in a cold, maybe uncomfortable marriage for many years. You may have done or said something in the past that seemed to have permanently damaged a friendship that was once very sweet. Kids, one of your friends could have told an untrue story about you just to get a laugh. All these things hurt. 
And we have to recognize that. They do hurt. In these situations, this letter teaches us that we need to be willing to take risks involved in seeking to mend broken relationships. We may not know the outcome beforehand, but we are challenged to seek reconciliation as far as it is up to you. This is especially true for our relationships with fellow believers. However, as we learn here, it is important to seek the help of a good friend or spiritual leader, such as a pastor or an elder. After all, that is why we are here, to get them to help you along this process. We have seen all that Paul did to assist the reconciliation of Onesimus and Philemon. A godly third party can indeed be a valuable asset, especially if he or she is a good relationship with both parties involved. However, in seeking to mend a friendship, it's not all up up to the facilitator. Just as Onesimus had to be willing to travel over a thousand miles back to Colossae, we must be willing to do the hard work of mending broken relationships. This hard work won't necessarily involve traveling thousands of miles. Rather, it may involve often the scary first step of sitting down with your spouse and bringing up the topic we shall not speak of. It could also be involved calling an estranged friend and inviting him or her out for coffee. Or it could be willing to truly apologize to the friend who you have hurt or willing to accept the apology from someone who has hurt you. So, recall we can also move on to another third person in this story, Tychicus. I mentioned him briefly at the beginning. He was the one who carried the letter. But he's not really mentioned in Philemon, so what's he have to do with this letter? Well, let's first figure out who Tychicus was. He was first mentioned in Acts chapter 20. He met Paul in Ephesus after a riot out out broke after Paul's um, preaching. He traveled with Paul, probably back to deliver the contribution to the saints and maybe back to Rome with him. If he didn't travel to Rome, he met him there very quickly. Paul trusted Tychicus, and he saw him as an encourager. We read both in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22, and Colossians 4, 7 and 9, that Paul sent him and Onesimus to deliver these letters to bring news of Paul's activity and to encourage. In both those passages, the words are written by Paul, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was indeed a gifted encourager. Later on, Paul even further trusted Tychicus, but he further demonstrated this by, um, in 2 Timothy, we read that he wanted Tychicus to come and to travel back to Ephesus again to take over for Timothy so Timothy could see Paul in Rome. Then after that, he wrote to Titus and said that he wanted either Tychicus or Artemis to take over the church in Crete from Titus. So Paul indeed trusted Tychicus. Who was Tychicus? He was a messenger. He was a travel companion, but as we read in Ephesians and Colossians, he was an encourager. First and foremost, in his role as messenger, Tychicus was a gospel bearer. 
we are also gospel bearers. We do this by telling others the good news of Christ as well as by living out our lives as befitting children of God. Tychicus was trusted to faithfully report what was going on with Paul. We are called to faithfully communicate the good news of Christ. As we previously read in um, Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Tychicus was an ambassador for Paul as well as a model on how we can be ambassadors for Christ. If we want to truly participate in the ministry of reconciliation, we must actively involve in bringing the gospel to a fallen world. However, we must also we also need to remember and remind fellow believers where they come from. And that is because of what Christ has done for us that we must seek reconciliation and unity within the church. Tychicus was also a travel companion, an encourager for Onesimus. As we take on this role, we can encourage the one seeking reconciliation, either to God or to a fellow believer, and to complete the journey. While we don't know really all the challenges that met Tychicus and Onesimus as they traveled the thousand plus miles from Rome to Colossae, it's not a big stress to imagine there must have been some uncertainty on Onesimus' mind. He did not know what the outcome was going to be. It is, and is that not also the case when we seek reconciliation? We do not always know what the outcome is going to be. It very easily was a real possibility that Philemon would not accept Onesimus back. But even more so, Philemon would have been fully in his rights under Roman law to have Onesimus executed. So Onesimus' track record was that his very nature was that if he sees trouble, what does he do? He runs away. So it would have been part of Tychicus' responsibility to encourage Onesimus to stay the course. As we minister to those who God has placed around us, we can be that encouragement to continue in the Christian life even when things get hard and scary. It is often very scary to seek to mend a relationship. What happens if I'm rejected? It is a common question, it is common to question God's goodness as well as the goodness of others if we are uncertain in what's going on. We can easily develop a self-protection strategy and continue to avoid contact. We do this out of fear or even sometimes out of cowardice. Onesimus could easily have been doubting Philemon's good character as he was traveling back to Colossae. And we can be tempted and be tempted to run again. Tychicus likely reminded Onesimus not only of Philemon's good character, but more importantly, of God's perfect love. We can remind those seeking reconciliation with fellow believers of God's good character and of his desire to see his church unified. So what can we take away from this study? When I first read this letter to you this morning, I asked you to consider what would you, how would you have reacted 
if you were one of the original hearers of this letter, how would you receive Onesimus? What have you learned from the letter? Overall, this letter has the purpose of restoring unity. What offenses are we ready to forgive? How far are we willing to go to mend friendships between fellow church members, or even between ourselves and someone who has offended us, or we have offended? We have seen that Paul is providing guidance on how we might help unite estranged fellow believers. Paul models a five-step program. Step one, to firmly, the firmly establishing the relational foundation for the request. Two is making it clear on what basis you are coming, either as an authority or friend. And recall, we reminded that when you're seeking a change in heart, it's best to come as a friend. Then recapping your understanding of the situation. This is critical. You even know what the problem is. Then clearly stating a request. And finally, communicating what you think the outcome will be. If we seek to apply this model, we are indeed, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1.11, imitating Paul as he imitates Christ. We can also use this letter as a great analogy for how Christ has reconciled us to God. This short scriptural model is indeed clear and straightforward explanation of how Christ acts to reconcile sinners, including ourselves to God. We should make it a practice to read this brief letter often. Used in this manner, this letter indeed can be a useful tool for evangelism as well. Finally, we can learn from the example of the people in this story. They can help us better understand how we can address our own transgressions as if we were Onesimus, or those that have been committed against us as if we were Philemon. Additionally, the circumstances surround the letter can instruct us how we might encourage or assist others to reconcile relationships. So as we go out today, I hope you have seen that how even one of the shortest, most personal books in the Bible is indeed profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's pray. Holy Father, We thank you for your scriptures. Your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. We pray that as we leave this place, remembrance of this letter goes with us. Father, help us in our interactions to be faithful agents of reconciliation between believers. More importantly, Lord, we are thankful for this beautiful picture of what Christ has done to reconcile us to you. Help us through your spirit to never forget that. Finally, we pray, Lord, that as you bring people into our lives, that we can be good and faithful travel companions as we return to you the gift of, as they return to you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life available to us through the perfect sacrifice of your son, and in his name we pray. Amen.